Welcome to Dig Deep, the mining podcast. In this podcast, we go deep into mining news, hot topics, and live interviews with mining professionals and leading figures in the mining industry. Introducing your host, Rob Tyson, founder and director of Mining International and Mining International Executive, a leading global mining recruitment and headhunting agency. Hi, mining community. Welcome back to another episode of the Dig Deep, the mining podcast. And today's guest is Mike Venter, who's an experienced exploration geologist who's worked in a wide range of commodities from, a, uh, from obviously corporate companies, junior, private, uh, to sort of private companies. Um, although he specializes more um, in the battery critical new technology uh, materials like graphite, lithium, and many others. Um, and also their impact on the new energy efficiency and infrastructure. Um, I'm getting Mike on the podcast, as a few of you um, on LinkedIn have requested to know more uh, knowledge and more information around graphite and lithium. Um, And I know Mike knows his stuff. Um, Just before I introduce Mike, just want to remind everyone that apart from this uh, podcast going out on the various platforms like iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, um, you can also watch this interview in person on our YouTube channel, um, which is obviously Dig Deep, the Mind podcast. Um, so for those that uh, are watching this, can you um, please share um, this video um, so obviously more people can um, have the opportunity to listen to this episode and the others um, so they can obviously learn and educate themselves. Um, it's something to do with the um, algorithms, um, but yeah, appreciate if you can uh, like and share. So let's get moving on with this podcast and like to uh, uh, obviously welcome Mike. How you doing, Mike? Hello, Rob. Yeah, doing well, thank you. Um, and thanks for the, uh, the opportunity to talk on your podcast. Yeah, no, and I appreciate, uh, appreciate you taking your uh, time out of your day, especially in um, sunny, uh, sunny Cape Town. So um, as we always obviously start these podcasts off, just wondering if you can give the audience an overview of your um, background, your career, um from way back to sort of present day yeah okay um way back certainly uh back to uh 1993 um i graduated as a as a geologist from uh, university of cape town um and and after working my time on a, an underground with valisran gold mine um i got the break into exploration so um for the last 27 odd years um, I've worked across a, a range of commodities, um, uh, from you know base metals through to precious stones, um, mainly in in um, in sub-Saharan Africa. But um, more recently, um, I got more involved in, um, as you as you mentioned, the the critical or the battery metals. Um, so I've been involved in that space for the last ten years, working for a, a global um, producer of critical metals as well as a an independent consultant. Okay. And so what, just and briefly, just what, what are you doing sort of nowadays? Um, I've been an independent consultant, sort of a, a, ma- a standalone uh, independent consultancy um, based here in Cape Town. But, you know, all my work is, is outside of um, South Africa, mainly in Africa, with some work in Brazil as well. Um, but pretty much, fo- as I said, focusing on, on the um, battery metals, which is graphite, um, lithium, uh, nickel, um, rare earths as well. Uh, so that's been my sort of niche for the last 10 years, I would say. Okay. And 
obviously what we want, really want to talk about is, or mainly talk about is graphite. Um, what got you into sort of graphite? Um, and obviously your experience around, around the, uh, around, yeah. around graphite. I think I got into graphite a, a bit by, by chance. Um, I was doing work uh, for a client that had a uranium uh, target in Northern Mozambique. Um, but when we went out into the field and did some validation, it turned out to be a, a hell of a big um, graphite deposit, which is now the, the Balama deposit, which is being mined by Sila Resources. So yeah. um, that was the sort of first uh, boots on the ground experience of graphite. And then following that, um, I worked for a, um, a company called Advanced Metallurgical Group, AMG, which um, basically was a vertically integrated company um, that mined and processed a lot of these critical metals, including them was graphite. And they had um, mines and operations in um, Mozambique, uh, in Zimbabwe, um, in Sri Lanka, as well as Germany. So through my role at this company, um, I got a lot of exposure um, into graphite right from, you know, exploration right through to the downstream processing, um, you know, of, of graphite. So I got to understand the industry pretty well. Um, and you know, considering it's a, an industry that's traditionally been dominated by the Chinese, um, you know, it also positioned me um, really well to, to have, you know, a good, solid understanding of graphite. Um, so, um, yeah, I've, you know, I've, and in the last five years, I've been, um, as I said, as an independent consultant, doing work on audits, reviews, uh, that type of thing, um, mineral resource estimation on projects mainly in Eastern and uh, Eastern and Southeast Africa and Madagascar. Okay. Before we go on and speak more about obviously um, EV batteries, etc., um, what are the the main attributes of graphite itself, and what what where else is graphite actually used within within our world? Well, look, um, I think about fifteen or twenty years ago, if you mentioned graphite, people said, "Yeah, well, it's the stuff that goes into you know your pencils that you use at school." Which is which is true. Um, it is used, but uh, graphite is traditionally used in the um, you know in, in the steel industries. Um, probably about majority of the market share is about um, in, in the steel industry. But then the lithium ion batteries are also becoming um, a major growth for for um, graphite. Um, and it, it all boils down to um, the qualities of graphite. Um, it's uh, it's an excellent conductor of heat and electricity. Um, and importantly, it's relatively inert. In other words, it can survive attack by most chemicals. So it's a, it's a very, um, it's got a lot of physical and chemical properties. And one of them is the application in lithium ion batteries, which is basically because of its, um, its storage ability, um, its stability and, and its cost efficiency. And graphite is the sort of go-to material for the anode of your lithium-ion battery. You get your cathode and your anode. Um, so graphite is almost exclusively used in the anode. So uh, with the growth of EVs um, and portable technologies, um, you know, the materials that go into the anode and the cathode um, are becoming, you know, more and more important to produce. Yeah. And, and so what everyday objects would graphite be in that we probably wouldn't necessarily know? I mean, not necessarily just mining people, but just every everyday people. Um, your average mobile phone probably has about 
15 grams of spherical graphite in it, which goes into the lithium-ion battery. Um, right up to, say, a Tesla Model S, um, that battery pack probably contains about you know, 27 kilograms of, of spherical graphite. So there's a lot of graphite that goes into these. And of course, as your, the larger your battery pack um, and your range, you know, the more of these battery metals and materials you need. Mm. Um, I wonder if you can give us, uh, again, more of an overview of the graphite and with obviously the, uh, I suppose, the introduction of everything becoming more battery-like. Uh, every All of our objects seem to be now run on batteries more so than anything else. And obviously that's growing. I wonder if you can give us a, 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 a bigger overview of the importance of graphite to the EV market, the battery market, et cetera. Yeah, well, as I said, um, you know, um, graphite is the, the go-to material for the anode. Um, you know, there, there's, there's very little substitution. And so graphite's seen as the only material that you can use in the anode of these lithium-ion batteries. Now, just looking at, um, at electrical vehicles and you look at what's happening in, in, the, in, in Europe in terms of emission controls, um, I think it's, it's Germany that want to, um, you know, phase out internal combustion engines by, by 2030. Um, you know, and so all these regulations uh, and coupled with the fact that the electric vehicle is getting cheaper and cheaper and soon it's going to be on parity, you know, with, with buying an internal combustion engine. So all these electrical vehicles um, need batteries and they need lithium ion batteries and all the components that go into them and graphite being the anode, which is, you know, 50% of your battery. Um, there's a significant demand for for graphite, um, but it's not just, not all graphite's the same. Um, so that goes into, you know, where the best places, who produces graphite and that type of thing. Yeah. And um, whereabouts is sort of graphite found and what are the different types? Um, you, well, you get three main types of, you get, you get synthetic graphite and you get natural, natural graphite. Um, synthetic graphite is, is, is made, um, you know, commercially using low, low-grade carbon uh, materials. Um, but that's to produce, um, you know, the high-spec graphite that goes into lithium-ion batteries. It's, it's quite an energy-intensive and quite an expensive process. Um, and flake or natural graphite has some better applications, also some better applications than synthetic in your lithium-ion battery. So you get three types of um, natural graphite. Um, one is um, the uh, amorphous type, which is pretty much low grade. Um, it's not used in lithium ion batteries, that's for certain. Then you get your uh, flake or crystalline uh, um, flake graphite. Um, so it's a very high grade product, but it's not really suitable for, for lithium ion batteries. So it's really the, the, uh, the flake graphite and um, China has traditionally been the world's largest producer of flake graphite. Um, and they continue to, to dominate the market. Um, in terms of production and therefore pricing as well to a large extent. Um, other large producers are um, India and Brazil. Um, and then more recently, um, as I mentioned earlier, um, Syra Resources Balama mine, which is actually the world's largest graphite mine, uh, opened a couple of years ago, but um, you know, um, has, been, has been facing its, its own challenges as well. Um, there are a couple of small producers in Madagascar, but these are really relatively small operations, but, um, you know, I think in, in the graphite space, um, bigger is not necessarily better. 
Um, it's it's and it's not necessarily all about you know the grade and the ground. It's all about the quality um, of the graphite. Yeah. So if um, obviously exploration companies were looking looking at um, regions, jurisdictions, where's probably the best places around the world that they could potentially discover some of the good graphite? Well, you, you need to look at you need to look for the right rock types um, that can contain that host the flake type of graphite, um, and these are always nine times or majority of the time are um, highly metamorphosed um, ro rocks that were originally sediments that contained organic matter. Um, so you know you need to find the right environments. Um, you know if you if you overcook your graphite, then it may turn into amorphous graphite. Um, so you need the right sort of the right conditions geologically in terms of pressure and temperature um, over the evolution of, you know, and then that, that will define your, your graphite deposit, which is, which is relatively easy to, to, to discover um, using geophysical techniques because graphite being a, an excellent conductor, um, you know, using methods like um, electromagnetics, um, airborne electromagnetics really can, can you know, delineate um, a potentially graphite bearing horizon. All you need to do is, is drill it. So I think, you know, defining a, uh, defining a graphite resource uh, is relatively easy, but trying to get a handle on the actual quality of the graphite, because as I said, it's, it's flake graphite and pricing ranges from small flake to large flake. Um, and there's a whole bunch of um, challenges that go about producing a consistent product um, for your for your client or your offtake partner. Yeah. Um, what about the supply and demand? So in terms of supply and demand, what has been happening over, say, the last five years? What's the current situation and what's the future of, of supply and demand? Obviously, because it is, it is it's going to be essential even more so as we move into this uh, new era. Yeah, I think um, there's there's quite a, a long value chain uh, in graphite. You know, from from mine, a mine will basically produce a concentrate, um, and then that concentrate is sold to uh, generally um, uh, a downstream uh, anode producer. Um, this is I'm talking specifically for the lithium ion battery market here, um, and all that downstream expertise, you know, taking from concentrate through to uh, spherical graphite, which is what coated spherical graphite, which goes into, you know, your lithium ion battery. There's a lot of beneficiation steps uh, that needs to go into that. And right now, um, China um, and to maybe a less extent, um, Japan and, and, and Korea basically control producing the anode, producing anode materials. Um, so it's very much China driven. Um, and of course, there are some uh, um, Australian uh, and Canadian companies that are, that are trying to also vertically uh, get vertically integrated by producing their own downstream uh, um, material for, for the batteries. But, uh, you know, it's expensive and whether or not they can compete with China who does this on a, on a large commercial scale um, remains to be seen. So to a large extent, China control the, the, the pricing of, of, of flake graphite concentrate that I'd say a mine would would, would sell uh, right through to you know producing the final um, uh, material that goes into your, into into the anode um, so they do control it a lot but in terms of demand going forward um, you know um, as I said 
there's, you know, if you see what um, Tesla is doing and their ambitions, um, you know, there's, there's going to be a, a, a huge demand for all these battery materials, graphite included. And with the current, and if you take all the graphite exploration projects and development projects into account, they still reckon there's going to be a, a shortfall uh, in supply come about 2027, 2028 for graphite. Um, so, you know, that's got to put a squeeze, hopefully, on prices. The graphite prices have been pretty static over the last couple of years. Um, so with, with China, the economy looks like it's picking up, as evidenced by the copper price. Um, you know, that, that means that um, demand for steel would increase and you know, graphite's traditionally um, used in the steel industry. So there's going to be demand from that aspect, as well as from this growing lithium ion battery market. Um, so the upside is good. It's just a, it's a question of, um, uh, there's a lot of projects in, in the world, in Canada, um, in, 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 in Tanzania, in, in Mozambique, in Australia, that have got graphite projects good to go, but they're just lacking the funding to, to get the mine up and running. And, um, you know, it's graphite, the graphite market is not clear cut like say a precious metal, um, it's it's not a commodity. It's actually an industrial mineral at the end of the day, and everything is based on the quality of your product and an offtake. And those terms are often not not disclosed, so you don't really know exactly what people are paying uh, for their graphite. Yeah. So do you, do you say there's a lot of opportunity in the market for new people to get into graphite, or do you think existing companies that are in the graphite market just sort of growing bigger and obviously you, you refer to um a lot of projects out there but they're obviously not attracting obviously money is that because the supply and demand there's probably there's a there's obviously a lot more supply in the industry at current levels however as the as the years go on as there's more and more vehicles batteries being produced not necessarily just vehicles but more batteries being produced the price then will slowly go up but obviously it is dictated by china as well yeah and i think china does play a large role in controlling the prices um but you know i think they can only do that for so long and and as you know there's been a graphite has been stated as a, as a critical uh material a critical mineral in in the us and in europe um, and, and the U.S. in particular has been quite outspoken and has passed, um, um, I think, some presidential directives in terms of ensuring that the U.S. in particular has a, a supply a supply of their own, you know, battery metal, which includes graphite. Um, so there's certainly, um, you know, some pressure. And, you know, also in terms of, you know, uh, Elon Musk was talking about, um, you know, he wants green nickel and he wants to ensure that the materials that go into his Tesla batteries are clean, uh, environmentally sourced, sustainable. Um, you know, and, and one thing about the Chinese uh, anode market um, and, and their processes, um, you know, there's, there's a lot of nasty acids that get used in, in making um, spherical coated graphite. Um, you know, so I think there's, there's a bit of a gray area in terms of, you know, how, how, how clean is the graphite going into our anode? So um, that's why there's a lot of companies that are now looking at producing their own anode material and trying to take that dependence away from China. But it's, you know, as I said, to compete with 
China that does this on a commercial scale, uh, you know, I don't know if that's a, it's achievable in the short term. You mentioned obviously there's a lot of projects out there in obviously various various countries. What what stages are some of these projects at? Are they at sort of at, uh, about to be obviously trying to find funding, or are they sort of that really pre feasibility and? I would say um, a lot of them are at or have completed DFS, uh, DFS level of studies. Um, most of them are all permitted uh, and good to go in terms of you know, mining, mining rights, et cetera, environmental um, authorizations. Uh, it's just a question of you know, uh, an investor coming in and, and funding it. Um, you know, th- th- there, are a, there are a couple of um, graphite um, juniors, um, one in, in Mozambique that has had some significant uh, investment by a Chinese investor. But they still need, you know, another twenty-five million dollars to to get them over the line to start construction. Um, some projects have started construction, um, but now sort of have stopped. So, you know, some of some have got a, a tailings dam wall that's been built and a camp to accommodate one hundred and fifty people, but you know that they can't go any further because they don't have the money. So, there's there's a lot of projects that are in limbo, and you know, and shareholders are losing are losing patience. So uh, it's 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 a pretty stressful time. And the thing is the the demand is coming um, and these projects need to be financed now so that they can, you know, be in production when this shortfall comes in, in, in four or five years time. So when do you see that tipping point happening? When do you see people then slowly start putting money into, into graphite? I, th- I think um, we've started seeing it um, in the lithium space in particular um, where you know, um, Tesla in particular have said um, are sourcing, you know, um, lithium uh, from from local producers. Um, and that's the first move of a an OEM like Tesla um, um, going straight to a hard rock supplier mine and saying, we want to buy your concentrate. That's 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 a first. Um, it never operates like it because there's always the mine sells its concentrate, you know, to 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 a downstream processor. And then eventually that ends up going into, you know, into the vehicle. So um, that move by Tesla, you know, it, it probably, um, and I think um, BMW and um, all the other OEMs are, are, are might follow suit and say, right, you know, we want to ensure supply, but whether or not they'll invest in a mine, um, they still need to take that concentrate and produce the spherical graphite that goes into, and that technology still desires with China. So it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, it's similar to how uh, China controls the rare earth industry as well. Um, they really do have, have that, have that control. So um, it's going to be interesting to see how it plays out. Yeah. Um, once we move on and talk about um, lithium, and I just wanted to give us again an overview of lithium in the sort of a green economy. Yeah, look, um, it's it's um, it's not called a lithium-ion battery for nothing. Um, in fact, the technology for lithium-ion batteries, I think, was patented, I think, by Sony back in the 70s. Um, but it's only now with increased uh, um, R&D being done and the actual, the size of the battery and its range and its extent. So, you know, now you can, you can use lithium-ion batteries to run vehicles. Um, so... Um, Lithium also is seeing a, um, a major um, a major demand for it. 
um, and there's, there's two main types of sources. One is the brines, uh, which are mainly extracted from the, um, what they call the lithium triangle down in South America. And uh, hard rock, um, hard rock lithium projects, which most of them being in Australia. Um, but, you know, lithium isn't a commodity. Um, at the end of the day, it's a, it's a well, it's a, it turns out being a speciality chemical. Because you know you also just like graphite, you have to convert your your concentrate into a chemical, either be it lithium carbonate and lithium hydroxide, and that's what goes into lithium-ion batteries. But it's all about quality and purity, um, and you know a lot of that downstream conversion from your concentrate into carbonate and hydroxide. Also, to a large extent, that technology also resides uh, in in China, Japan, and and, and South Korea. And how is the supply and demand of lithium? Because I'd say sort of 12 months ago, everyone seemed to be on top of lithium. And then over the course of this year, and even more so now, it's not much, it's not talked about much. Is there is there a reason behind that? There was a there was a um a, a lithium boom um a, a couple of years ago. And mm. since then, you know, prices have tanked. Um and what happened was I think a a combination of things. I think there were a lot of Australian hard rock lithium producers that came online, um, produced a lot of their product, um, and which maybe caused a bit of oversupply with the downstream Chinese converters. Um, and then also, um, China also cut its subsidies for electric vehicles as well. So that also has a knock-on effect on, on, on the market. But having said that, I think all the, the lithium gurus out there are pointing to, um, you know, seriously an uptick in lithium prices certainly um, starting in 2021 and I think the the shortfall for lithium uh, is is a lot more uh, a lot more um, closer to home more not 2028 but probably you know 2022 um, so there's like graphite there's a lot of good quality lithium projects out there that are ready to start but you know um, there's a lot of good projects in Africa, but the problem with with these types of projects um, is you need good infrastructure, especially access to a port, uh, if you're going to be producing a concentrate. So, you know, there's there's some world class lithium deposits. Uh, one being in the DRC, um, it's it's probably the largest lithium deposit in the world. But you know, their challenge is trying to get that product out, um, you know, cheaply, um, and, and that's you know there might be a a much better, much smaller scale uh, project in, in, in Canada. Um, you know, so you know, Tesla would probably rather buy their, their concentrate from there rather than ship it from the DRC, for example. And so what, what challenges would you say there is uh, with both graphite and lithium moving forward? I, I think as speaking as a geologist, um, you know, I don't think grade... Um, I don't think tonnage and grade are always the go-tos. Uh, it's not like a gold deposit or a, a base metal deposit. It's, it's all about the ability. It's all about quality and being able to produce a product consistently uh, and to a spec. Um, and your offtake partner who wants to buy your concentrate, be it graphite or a lithium concentrate, they want it at that spec. And if it's not at that spec, they either will not buy it or you'll get paid less. Um, and they often change their specs 
Um, you, know, you know, battery chemistries change all the time. You know, so with that, are the demands on you know the run of mine material. So um, if the spec changes, um, can your plant and your ore body handle it? Uh, would you be able to adjust your? So that's why it's in a lot of these instances, it's it's good to have a, a relatively small operation. I'm, I'm speaking more on graphite, um, so that you can you know be relatively nimble um, and and you know tweak your process to to satisfy what your offtake wants because they're the guys that pay the bills. Yeah. You mentioned quality. Is that quality of the concentrate from the mine or the quality once the concentrate is in that next process to turn it into a usable form of graphite? Well, it's it's the quality so, of the concentrate uh, in terms of um, the carbon content. So most most projects will aim to produce anything north of 94% carbon in their concentrate. Okay, but with graphite, not only talking about the the, the you know the carbon content, the, the, the quality, but it's the flake size. Um, so um, larger flake size. When I say large flake size, I'm talking you know 180 microns. Uh, that's 0.2 of a mil. That's a large flake. Um, so it's and you know so larger flake often um, will uh, command uh, much higher prices. Um, but you know, large flake deposits often are very low grade. So, you know, it's not always about grade in the ground. You can have fantastic large flake graphite, but your average grade is 3%, which is, which is pretty low uh, for, for graphite deposits. Uh, graphite deposits range from 3% all the way up to, you know, 30%. And the Sri Lankan vein deposits, well, they're almost pure up to 95% in situ. Um, I want to talk about um, the green economy. Um, it seems obviously the governments are continuously and starting to promote a, a green economy. What other minerals, metals are associated with the whole green economy? Um, and where, where are some of these found, for instance? Well, I think um, it's the green economy and it's, the, it's, it's also the, the mobile port portable economy. Um, you know, and if you had to look at um, the amount of metals uh, that were used, so if you had to look at the periodic table and looked at the amount of metals that were used when, you know, Henry Ford put together his car, um, compared to now, what we're putting into um, your state-of-the-art EV or um, a wind turbine, for example, um, you know, there's almost every metal, uh, not every metal in the periodic table, but a lot is used um, in particular, uh, rare earths, for example, uh, rare earths are, are an integral part of, um, you know, most portable technology. Um, and in particular, neodymium and preosodymium are the key ingredients that go into magnets. And these are the magnets that drive uh, wind turbine motors and also the motors in your electric vehicles uh, also would need those rare earths as well. So apart from the, the critical metals, I mean, I was talking about graphite going into the anode. Now, on the other side is the cathode, which is your your um, your lithium. Um, nickel is becoming a major component of batteries as well as well, and cobalt, of course, um, as well as manganese. So those are the key sort of uh, I would say battery battery metals. Um, and of course, you know, cobalt has has been on everyone's lips because there's only really one producer in the world uh, that produces cobalt, and that's the DRC. And you know, there's been a lot of talk about, you know, 
artisanal small scale mining using child labor um, et cetera et cetera so you know there's there's a lot of uh, sensitivity about how the cobalt is sourced for a lot of these downstream auto electric motor uh, um, producers um you mentioned obviously uh, cars from when Henry Ford produced the car to obviously say uh, we can talk about obviously Tesla. How many more, and what's the ratio in terms of sort of metals, minerals that are needed now compared to when Henry Ford made a car? So we've got some sort of um, comparison. Well, I think um, that's a good question. And um, roughly. You know, I think you'd imagine a, a lot more, um, you know, steel, uh, iron would go into a, into a traditional internal combustion engine. Um, as opposed to uh, an electric vehicle, which um, you know, I, I think is is would be some steel component to it, but you know, obviously not as much. So, um, but you know, I think that the majority cost uh, of an electric vehicle is its battery pack, um, and I think that's where the drive at the moment is to try and drive the cost. It's generally worked on per kilowatt hour, and I think. The target is to get it below $100 per kilowatt hour. And I think they're about to achieve that. And when that happens, that starts making it really cheap to produce electric vehicles um, and make them on parity with, with internal combustion engines. So I suppose, you know, this is a reality. If you live in Europe, um, you know, where the, the charging infrastructure, well, you probably may, may not even need charging infrastructure, uh, depending on what you want to use your EV for. Um, and in the States, but you know, places like um, you know here in, in, in South Africa or, or in Africa, I think EVs will probably be the rear arm of just the city dwellers, and I don't see it being rolled out anywhere else, just because of you know the charging infrastructure that probably needs to be done. And in Australia, I mean, uh, they talk about range envy for electric vehicles, but you know, if you want to drive uh, in Australia, it's it's a long distances are far, um, so I'm not too sure whether the EV would would fit in and people would rather stick to, you know, um, a double cab with a, a double long range tank of fuel, you know? Yeah, certainly. And I, I used to live in Australia myself. I lived out there 10 years and I drove across the uh, Nullarbor, which is from sort of Adelaide to Perth. Um, yeah. And yeah, I can't see too many um, uh, charging stations along there. So um, yeah. yeah, so I suppose you, you have to look at it that EV vehicles are going to be in more centralized locations rather than and especially like a place like like the uk yeah it might be throughout the uk but larger continents australia africa wherever china it's going to be a bit more sparse yeah and i mean a lot of these a lot of these uh, automakers uh, bmw uh, mercedes-benz toyota i mean they've got huge plants in, in south africa for example um which now has to be pretty much retooled to start producing EVs because the cars are exported to Europe. Um, mm -hmm. So there's, you know, there's going to be a change in, I think, in the industry as well, in the automaking industry um, to accommodate this, this, this EVs. I think that they certainly are, are not going to disappear. Um, you know, I think 15 years ago, if you mentioned, or 10 years ago, if you'd mentioned Tesla um, or Elon Musk, people probably wouldn't know who you're talking about. And um, he's, he's really, I wouldn't say he's the Henry Ford, um, but I remember seeing a, um, an image of, um, I think it was New York in 1900, 
um, and it said, you know, spot the motor vehicle. And you could see one motor vehicle in a sea of horse-drawn carts and, and horses. And then nine years later, no, I think it was five years later, they took the same picture and they said, spot the horse. And it was all motor vehicles. Um, so, you know, I don't think it's going to happen that quickly here, but it's, it's you know, I think the EV uptake in Europe has is, is been quite dramatic. I think a lot more people are, are turning to EVs. Um, so, um it's and that and this is going to drive a demand for the raw materials that go into batteries and and until some investment goes into these into producing these raw materials um there's going to be a bit of a problem in the supply chain yeah and what is the supply and demand around some of these other um minerals that you mentioned like uh, nickel manganese obviously you mentioned cobalt yeah look um nickel has has always traditionally been used in the steel industry um, so a majority of, of nickel produced nowadays is, is, is going into the steel industry. But like graphite, um, the lithium-ion battery um, market is certainly uh, requiring a demand uh, for nickel. Uh, it, and I, I mentioned Tesla again, you know, they're looking for local suppliers. They don't want to import their, their nickel material or nickel chemicals from, from China. They want to produce it in-house. So... Um, Obviously, all, a lot of US-based uh, nickel projects and uh, lithium projects are all getting pretty excited to try and get, you know, Elon to, to sign a contract with them. Um, but manganese, um, you know, manganese is a bulk commodity. Um, it's it's also used primarily in the steel industry. Um, so, you know, I don't think there's going to be any supply issues in terms of manganese and, and nickel. Um, Cobalt, well, uh, there will always be um, some form of constraints there because of the fact that only one country really produces it, and that's the DRC. Um, and it's, you know, that some of the big majors are, are in there. Um, and I think, I can't remember which automotive uh, a dealer, I think, has done a deal with Glencore to secure, you know, cobalt concentrates, um, you know. So it's starting to, to happen to start to see, um, you know, and maybe this is the, the investment that that the industry needs um, is to have, you know, a, a downstream, the right downstream guys to invest in the upstream to to ensure their supply as long as it's all done uh, according to you know environmental, social, government. So you can tick all those boxes, then uh, I think you're in business. Hmm. I've got one more last question, um, and as a sort of a conclusion, how do you see these these types of um, minerals, metals for the EV battery market. How do you see all this playing out over the next 5, 10, 15, 20 years? Well, um, unless, you know, unless everyone's saying there, the demand for these materials is, is, is going to be there and all the forecasts are saying we're not going to be able to, if we don't start investing now, um, we're not going to be able to cater for for the for the demand and that'll obviously have a knock-on effect of you know companies not being able to to produce evs because they can't get you know anode material or they can't get cathode material for the batteries um so i, I think it's 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 going to reach a pinch point in the next couple of years um you know and it's going to be interesting to see uh what western companies are going to do to become vertically integrated and rather not just produce a concentrate at the mine gate, but to take that 
and get vertically integrated and hopefully provide some competition, you know, um, outside of China. But um, that, that's that's the challenge. But you know, there's there's a lot of R and D going on uh, into batteries themselves. So you know, maybe in five years' time, you know, we may no longer need graphite in the anode, and maybe you know, there's there's talk of using lithium in the anode now as well. So with the amount of R and D going on, um, you know, battery technology is going to change. So you know, maybe that mix of manganese, cobalt, um, nickel, um, lithium, graphite, you know, may change, but you know, I think maybe the mixture will change, but I think essentially those are going to remain the, the fundamentals of, you know, portable batteries, you know, for the next at least three, four years. Mm. I was just going to ask one more last question because I was going to ask substitutions. Um, if there is a shortage supply in some of these commodities or minerals, should I say, um, is there any substitutes or really you do need these particular um, particular minerals for the batteries a lot but obviously like you said there's research and development so things can change but is there any yeah. other substitutes for some of these well i mean you know the in terms of the battery chemistry it's, it's often especially when i'm talking about the cathode it's 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 varying uh, proportions of nickel manganese and cobalt often um and now they're moving towards more nickel rich uh, uh, uh cathodes because nickel can, uh, and these are for longer range vehicles, for example, and so more nickel rich, and they're trying to reduce the amount of cobalt because of this, the issues around potential supply risk for cobalt. So, you know, all those, all these variables need to need to be taken into account. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't, I don't see too many replacements. Um, we'll see. I mean, yeah, I, I don't see too many. Uh, well, I speak in the correction. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, really appreciate your time, Mike, for obviously uh, providing this content around graphite, lithium, and uh, the rest of the uh, battery minerals. Um, if people want to reach out and have any questions, um, how can they go about doing that? And are you on any uh, social media channels? Um, I'm on um, LinkedIn. I think that'll be the best place to find me. Um, my name, Mike Venter, um, or PH Consulting is my my uh, consulting firm. So uh, my contact details are there. Yeah. Okay. Um, and again, all those will be in our show notes as well. Um, so if you're um, listening to this, appreciate if you can uh, share this contact, content amongst the people within the industry um, and also obviously people outside the industry. I mean, people in the automotive uh, industry could be uh, interested in listening to what Mike has to say. Um, also, if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, appreciate if you can um, like and subscribe below. And um, so obviously that helps with the reach. And so more people can uh, gain access to this content um, and help everyone educate and learn more about um, obviously these particular minerals and also around um, the green economy and, and what is happening in the, in the world moving forward around battery, battery and electric vehicles. So really appreciate your time, Mike, um, providing the content. And I'm sure our audience will be, um, will be um, happy to uh, listen to this. Although uh, obviously a few of them did reach out to me and, uh, and suggest yourself as well. And um, obviously want to know more about graphite. So really appreciate your time. Pleasure. So, Thank you, Rob. So until next time, happy mining. Thank you for listening. 
Remember to reach out to Rob via the show notes and be sure to subscribe and leave a review. Until next time, happy mining, helping each other to improve the mining industry.